Welcome to Ladies Who Love Christ, where we love to encourage you to build intimacy with Christ. We'll bring you insights and teachings to help you grow in your walk with Jesus, ultimately becoming the strong, godly woman you were created to be. Here is Ashley Pope Todorova. Good evening, ladies, and welcome to session three of our Acts Bible study. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the transition and the transformation of Saul to Paul and how the Lord created just such an incredible transformation in his life, in his heart, and how it affected so many in the early church. I'm so grateful that you're here. If you're new to the podcast, if you're new to the ministry, make sure you connect with us at ladieswholovechrist.com. We want to get to know you. If you don't have the book tonight, don't stress, get your Bible. And ladies, I'm taking it live to social right now. Grab your Bible and we're going to turn to Acts chapter 9. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. And this is all about verses 1 through 31. This is literally all about the conversion of Saul to Paul. Okay. This is about his, um, his, encounter on on the road to Damascus. It's about his uh, transformation. It's about what the Lord did, not only in his life, but we're going to bring it right here to 2023, because we always study in time, culture, and context here. But the Lord can do the very same thing, ladies, in your life, in your heart, in the heart of somebody that you love dearly. So this is a topic that is near and dear to me, and I'm super, super excited about it. Um, What I'd like you to do is turn to page 45 in the book. That is the start of chapter five. We're going through every odd chapter together live. Page 45 in the book. And if you don't have it, don't stress it. So I'm going to go ahead and read some of the bullets for you, the bullet points. It was Saul, known as Paul to us, that would become God's apostle to the Gentiles, leading the church and spreading Christianity to the ends of the earth. It is Paul who prominently acts more than any other person, okay, in Acts chapter 10 through 28. Now, give me just a moment. Let me make sure I'm on track here. I took so many notes tonight. So the first, the first um, Acts 1 through 9 uh, is, is, really about Peter and and Peter's interaction. And then Acts chapter 10 through 28 is really about Paul after he went through this encounter. He had this encounter uh, with Jesus on the Damascus road. Okay. So really you can take Acts and you can divide it into two parts essentially. All right. No one was better suited than Paul. Nobody. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a native of Tarsus, thus thoroughly acquainted with Greek culture. Very important to know. He was a citizen of Rome. He was trained in a trade. So as he was traveling about ministering, he could support himself, right? I want you gals, we're going to flip a lot tonight. So get ready. If you like to flip in your Bibles, you're going to love it tonight because we're going to be flipping. I want you to bookmark Acts chapter nine because we're going to keep going back and referencing this. But I want you to turn to Galatians chapter one, and we're going to read verses 11 through 16, okay? This is is why nobody was better suited than Paul. Verse 11, for I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which I am proclaiming as good news is not according to man. Verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. Listen to this, gals. But I received it. Listen to that word, received it. But I received it uh, uh, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. Verse 14, it says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being far more zealous for the traditions or the laws, the traditions of my fathers. Okay. Verse 15, 
But when God, I love that, but when God, I can tell you that in my own life, but when God, but when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might proclaim him as good news among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Okay, so in Paul's own words, he he, it says so clearly, let's go back, back it up. We're in Galatians 1, Galatians 1 verse 12. It says, for I, nev I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. It wasn't something, it wasn't textbook. It wasn't something he sat there and learned. He literally said, it was something that I received through a, I received it. He received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that happened on the Damascus road. Essentially, ladies, what happened on the Damascus road is Jesus literally showed up and he created, he created a transformed, transformed, meaning being made new in character, new person, new heart, new thoughts, new ways. He took Saul, this man who ultimately persecuted the church. Ladies, when I say persecution, it wasn't like just taunting. He was out to literally kill. He was out to kill Christians. There was severe persecution that he led within the early church. And the Lord took him and he took him from Saul and he made him Paul. Okay. And he said right here, it wasn't something that was taught. It wasn't something that, that, um, that, that I learned from man. It wasn't something that I sat down and learned from a book. It was having received it. Right. So Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and again, a native of Tarsus. He understood Greek culture. Isn't it amazing? Taking it from time, culture, context, taking it from there and bringing it here. Isn't it amazing how, especially if you've gone through a huge transformation in your life and in your heart, and I think it's safe to say if you're here doing this study, we all have. The Lord has touched us and done something incredible in our lives. He's created a transformation, right? Isn't it incredible how there are things that at the time we don't understand the Lord is going to use, but boy, does he use them when he transforms us, when he touches our lives. It's incredible. Paul was a citizen of Rome and he was again trained in a trade. So as he traveled about ministering, he was able to support himself. Okay. Now we're still working from page uh, 45 in the book. We're still working from page 45. Now I want to read this to you. Before God could use, listen close. Before God could use this highly gifted man, he was highly gifted. He was ultimately persecuting the church, hating Christians, but, but he was gifted. Before the Lord used this gifted man, he absolutely had to transform him. He had to transform him. I look back, bringing it to 2023, parking it for a second. I look back in my own life. When I first started walking with the Lord, and I was a baby Christian, okay? I was a baby, baby infant Christian. And I look back and I think about the eagerness and the hunger I had to serve him. But now where I'm at, having walked with him for, for many years, having um, sought intimacy with him, having grown closer to him, I look back and I think, oh my goodness, if I, if the Lord had even done anything with me when I thought I was ready, it would have been absolutely destruction. The Lord had to transform Saul into Paul. And what is transform? I want you to write this down. Okay. Cause this isn't in the book. I want you to write it down transform is a complete change of nature. It's a complete change of nature. He had to ultimately change Saul's nature to Paul. He had to change him from this man who would persecute and hate Christians and absolutely persecuted the church to a man who would go out and who would be so full of zeal, so full of server, uh, uh, fervor, not server, so full of fervor for the Lord that he would proclaim the good news and he would be used to share the good news to the Gentiles and to the Israelites, right? That process between Saul and Paul, even though it seems like it was very quick on the road to Damascus, 
but there was a process that the Lord had to walk through with him in terms of transformation. So we have the record of this life-changing encounter with Christ on the Damascus road uh, of, of Saul encountering Christ on Damascus road. I want you to turn back to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. The change in Saul was instant. The change in Saul was instant. In less than one week, he went from breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord to preaching Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Now, now, listen close. Because if some of you girls are listening and you're paying attention, you're going to say, but you just said transformation and this process can take a while in our lives, okay? First off, the Lord can do anything and everything with, in an absolute instant. He did for Saul on the road, on the Damascus road. It was an instant change. It was an instant transformation. It was an instant change of heart, change of nature. But as you'll hear in Philippians tonight, and as we discuss further tonight, you're going to learn about the sanctification process. That instant change, that instant transformation of Jesus touching Saul's life, and he became Paul, happened in, in less than a week. This man was a different man, but he had to walk out the process of sanctification. He had to walk out becoming more holy and more Christ-like. And he talks about what that's like taking hold of and pressing on. And so we're going to, we're going to really unpack tonight sanctification, right? So the change in Saul was instant. In less than one week, he was breathing these threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord to preaching Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Okay. Now I want you to write in your journals because I want you to be active tonight. I don't want you to just sit here and listen and get distracted with things in the background and not really pay attention. I want you to really pay attention. I want you to write Acts 9 verse 1. Acts 9 verse 1. And just write Saul. Write Saul. And then I want you to write Acts 9 verse 20. Acts chapter 9 verse 20. And right next to it, I want you to write Paul. That time span between Acts 1 and Acts 20, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and Acts chapter 9, verse 20, was less than a week. Our God is a mighty God. Our God can take the hardest heart. He took Saul's heart, who hated, literally hated Christians and the church. He took this man, and he made him a completely new man. Now, we're going to park it in the scripture right now. And I'm going to bring it to 2023, and I'm going to tell you something right now. There are some of you that might be, and this is not in my notes. I didn't anticipate going here, but I'm going to take 30 seconds, and I'm going to go here. There are some of you who have stopped praying. There are some of you who have stopped praying for people in your life that you want to see a transformation happen with. There are some people that you know, maybe it's a grandchild, maybe it's a child, and they're not walking with Jesus, and you want them to walk with Jesus, but you've gotten so discouraged that maybe you stop praying on their behalf. Let me tell you something right now. He is a mighty God that made Saul Paul, and he still does those things today. Do not get weak in your prayers. Do not get weak in your belief in what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, can do in the heart of somebody. I've seen it in my life with those that I deeply care about. So I wanted to really parallel Acts 9-1 to Acts uh, 9-20, one week apart. You can draw a little arrow and say one week, Saul to Paul, instant, instant transformation. That's a pretty, pretty incredible, incredible thing. So now the church was suspicious you're telling me that there's this man that absolutely hates Christians. He wants to murder us. He's persecuting us. And we're supposed to believe that there's just this, this change, that, that this isn't fake. Maybe he's faking this. Maybe he just wants to get close to us so that he can, uh, you know, take out this rage that he has. The church was suspicious of Paul's conversion. Okay. That was a natural reaction to somebody who was living 
like Saul was living and doing what Saul was doing, right? But his powerful and persistent preaching, coupled with efforts by the Jewish authorities to kill him, they're like, why would the, the Jewish authorities want to kill Saul, right? Coupled with that, it finally convinced the apostles that it was genuine. It finally convinced them that Saul's transformation, that change of nature, that meeting Jesus on the Damascus road was, in fact, as we say in 2023, legit. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read together verses 26 and 27. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. And it says, And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he recounted to them how he had seen the Lord. He had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had talked to him, and, and how at Damascus he'd spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas came and said, No, 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 guys, okay, this is really, this is legit. He has, this is no longer salt, right? He has changed. He is a new man. I want you to turn. I told you we're flipping tonight. I'm making my girls work every week. We're going to dig a little bit more and we're going to go back and forth. And I'll give you a second to get there. Don't, don't rush. It's just a few, um, a few books back from Acts. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter one, verses 17 and 18. Galatians one, verses 17 and 18. Paul spent about three years in Arabia between the time of his conversion and his journey to Jerusalem. So this transformation happened and he literally stayed for three years in Arabia. I want to read verses 17 and 18 to you. Verse 17 says, give me one moment. Verse 17, if you're jumping on, keep your devices on mute. Thank you. We're so glad to have you joining us this evening. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and I returned once more to Damascus. Verse 18. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and I stayed with him for 15 days. So following Saul's acceptance by the apostles, ladies, the church enjoyed another time of growth and another time of peace, another time of growth and another time of peace. Now, I want you to turn, if you're working from the book, that was sort of a recap. If you want to read the entire passage, which I urge you to do that, I encourage you to do that, go to chapter nine, read Acts nine, if you have not done so already, verses one through 31, okay? So now we're gonna turn in the book to page 46. under keys to the text. And I'm actually gonna read this entire section to you. So like his namesake, Saul, Israel's first king, Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Greek name. He was also a Roman citizen. Paul was born at about the time of Christ's birth in Tarsus, an important city in the Roman province of Cilicia located in Asia Minor, which is also known as modern day Turkey. He spent much of his life in Jerusalem as a student of the celebrated Rabbi Gamaliel. Like his father before him, Paul was a Pharisee, a member of the strict Jewish sect. He was miraculously converted, we just talked about that, on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. He was on his way, literally, to arrest Christians when this happened in that city. Paul immediately began proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the gospel message. Paul received the spirit without any apostles present because he was a Jew. The inclusion of Jews in the church had already been established at Pentecost. And because he was an apostle in his own right, since Christ personally, listen to this, since Christ personally chose him, Christ personally chose him, I love that, and commissioned him for service. After narrowly escaping from Damascus with his life, Paul spent three years in Arabia. And we just talked about that. And I read to you Galatians 1 verses 17 and 18. During that three years, he received much of his doctrine as a direct revelation from the Lord more than any other individual. 
Paul was responsible for the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. So ladies, as we go and we turn to page 49 to answer the questions together, this is time culture context. This is an amazing, amazing encounter that he had. And he said, you heard from, from Paul himself, he said it wasn't something that I was, I was uh, raised knowing. It wasn't something I was taught. It wasn't something that I learned from man. It is something that I received from Jesus. And Jesus took, of, of all people in the world to use gals, listen, this is, this is, you see story after story after story in the Bible of Jesus using the least expected. Jesus transforming the least expected and using them in mighty ways. Paul was integral in spreading the gospel, the good news to the Gentiles and to the Israelites, but especially, especially to the Gentiles, right? He, he was an absolute integral piece to that. And when you look at his life before, he was a murderer and he hated Christians and he hated, he, he seethed, he adhered to the law, but he seethed and hated Jesus. And he became his great, like literally the Lord used him to become his greatest um, uh, voice, right? And spreading the gospel. It is so encouraging on many aspects. When you study in time, culture, context, yes. And reading so many parts of the New Testament, but it's so encouraging for you gals. That's why I said, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing that the Lord can change a heart because boy, will he and can he? He's a mighty, mighty, mighty God. I think as I study tonight, it is not in my notes to share this, but I just wanted to make sure that I do share this with you, that sometimes we get so caught up and we may read a Bible story or read something in the word of God, and we may think, well, that happened then, but you have to understand we serve, we serve that same holy, amazing God. So never give up hope for what those things are that you're going through. The Lord can transform any heart. And as you saw with Saul, he can do it in an absolute instant within the time span of instantaneously, but a complete life change within one week, right? Within one week, a complete change of nature. So if you're working from the book, I want you to turn to page 49. If you're not working from the book, don't worry. Heather will be um, taking notes and we'll get you going. It's not a problem. You write down the question, write down the verses, open your Bible. That's the most important thing. So number one, we're gonna cover this together. What happened to Saul as he made his way to Damascus to round up more Christians? Now, the purpose of this exercise, ladies, every week when we go through questions together, the purpose of this exercise is for you to learn how to take a question, take a thought and read while paying attention. Don't read just to read, but really pay attention and look for the answer in scripture. Because so often, if you're not careful, you can read passages of scripture and not even remember what you read. So I really want you to learn to search the scriptures for the answer. So the answer is going to be found in verses three through nine. We're in Acts chapter nine, and I'm gonna turn back there myself. Verses three through nine, it says, and as he was traveling, I'm reading from my Bible. And as he was traveling, it happened that when he was approaching Damascus, suddenly, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Verse four, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And then verse, um, Five. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse six, but rise up and enter the city and it will be told what you must do. Verse seven, and the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And verse eight, and Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there, verse nine, he was there three days without sight and he neither ate nor drank. Ladies, essentially right there in those passages, he was blinded by the light and he had an absolute encounter with Jesus. He lost his sight, complete loss, complete blindness for three days, no eating, no drinking, 
right? You can only imagine that he is this, this man who has persecuted Jesus so much and persecuted the church and persecuted Christians has this instant, instant encounter with him. Verse, uh, I'm sorry. So the answer is found in verses three through nine. That is the answer. He was blinded by the light. He had an encounter with Jesus. He lost his sight for three days. Now, number two, how did his traveling companions react? How did the people react that were with him? You can imagine this is all like, I mean, just put yourself like you put yourself there. Think about this. How, how wild that would be. They stood speechless. They didn't even have anything to say. They, they were completely and utterly at a loss for words. Verse eight is they led him by hand and they brought him into Damascus because he was blind. He lost his sight. So not only was he transformed, like did the Lord transform him from that moment, but his sight, losing his sight, ladies, when you lose a sense, I mean, thankfully we, you know, we all, most of us have all of our senses. If you don't, you, if you don't have your sight or, or you don't have your smell, um, you, you can only imagine how difficult that would be in certain situations, but it also showed God's power. It showed him God's power right? It showed him God's absolute sheer and complete power. What specifically, number three, what specifically did God ask Ananias to do? And why was this a troubling, troubling command? Now we're going to go down to verse 10. We we're picking right up. We just finished verse nine, Acts nine, nine. Now we're going to Acts nine, 10, flip there, turn there. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, give me a moment here, let me move my post-it, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord, and the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus, and from Tarsus, named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Verse 12, and he'd seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in. And lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem, how much harm he did. And, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. He has that authority. So Ananias is like, whoa, what are you asking me to do? Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine. He's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So he asked Ananias to go inquire at the house of Judas for Saul of Tarsus. But of course, it was troubling to Ananias because he's like, well, what are you asking me to do? And the Lord said, go. Essentially, go. Trust me, go. I'm not asking, I know, God knows, God knew, God knew all of the pieces to that puzzle. He knew all of that. He knew every last drop about Saul. He literally said to him, go, he's a chosen instrument of mine. He's a chosen instrument of mine. And then verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me. That is Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he rose up and was baptized and he took food and he was strengthened. He was a new man. He in, a, in an instant was a new man. From the period that the Lord touched him on the Damascus road and really removed his sight, he recognized that he is the Lord, that he is Jesus. And he made him a new man. He transformed him. He gave him a new nature. And that's what happened in that verse, in verse 17 and in verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he rose up and he was baptized. He was a new person and you know what ladies this is just bringing it here again the lord can do that i've seen the lord do that in my life 
I've seen the Lord do it in my life. Not even talking about the countless lives of people around me that I've seen him transform. But it's very easy when we're studying God's word, it's very easy to get methodical with studying God's word and checking boxes. Listen to me. It's very easy to get methodical with showing up to church on a Sunday and checking boxes and volunteering. It's very easy to say, but I study God's word and I check, check, check. I do all the checks. But ladies, it's really about knowing Christ, seeking Christ, pursuing intimacy with Christ all the days of our life. And we're going to talk about Paul used the words take hold in Philippians, to press on and to take hold. We're going to talk about what does that mean in our lives. This isn't about checking boxes. This is about pursuing the holy and righteous, one and only God, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah, the anointed one. With every drop of our lives, let us not turn it into a performance-based thing. It's pretty amazing what he did. And then in verse, uh, I'm sorry, question number four, how was this an ironic twist in Saul's story, right? How was it an ironic twist in Saul's story? Give me one moment, I'm gonna find that. Okay, so here we go. He begins preaching. It says here, verse 20, Acts chapter nine, verse 20. This is the moment. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the Jewish leaders seeing Saul, who was like one of theirs, had full permission to persecute to the utmost. And then here he is, he comes into the synagogues and he is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. That's the most powerful, amazing thing that anybody can do is know Christ and share Christ, right? So they're all like, all those around him, verse 21, and all those hearing him continue to be astounded. And we're saying, is this not yet the one in Jerusalem that destroyed those who called on this name? Is this the same guy that destroyed people who called on this name and who'd come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests to be murdered? Verse 22, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this is this one is the Christ. He had his encounter. He knew. He was there and he's like, I know that I know that I know. So now I will proclaim the good news. The Lord used him so mightily. The Lord often uses the least of these, the most unexpected right? Our world says you have to have all the things, but we know, knowing God's word, that no, you just need Jesus. It takes one touch. It takes one encounter. It takes one moment like what he had. So Saul was increasing in strength and confounding the Jews and, and proving that this one is the Christ. And then in verse 23, listen, listen to this. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to put him to death. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. They were waiting for him. They wanted to kill him. Now, here's the question of number four in the book on page 49. What is the ironic twist in Saul's story? Ding, ding, ding. Here's the answer, girls. He went from being the one that wanted to kill and persecute. Literally, he went from wanting to kill and persecute the Christians to seeking to be killed by the, Jew, by the Jews on account of Christ. He became the person that he persecuted for so long. He became who he persecuted for so long. So now all of a sudden the tables have turned and he's proclaiming Christ and the Jews are after him and they want his life. They're out for blood. They want him dead. number five in the book acts records and we're gonna after we finish this i'm gonna go off into my own little teaching i i did here but i want to cover these questions with you acts records that christianity was often referred to as the way in the first century what does this mean 
Let's turn to Acts chapter two. I'm sorry, Acts chapter nine, verse two. We're staying in, in Acts nine tonight. Acts chapter nine, verse two. And asked for letters for him from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Let me just read verse one so it's all in context together. Acts chapter nine, verse one. Now Saul still, this is taking it back before his encounter. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The way is a designation for Christianity from Jesus's description of himself in John 14, 6. It was a designation for Christianity. It was essentially saying Christians, people who adhere to the way. Now, I want you to turn to John with me. We're going to turn to John 14, 6. I love, 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 love John 14 and 15. I love the entire word of God, <laughs> Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament to New. But man, I could spend weeks in John 14 and John 15. And I'm not kidding. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way. The way was referring to people who followed Jesus. But Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one can go to the Father but through him. So let's pause on the, the passage here. Let's pause on the book. Let's pause on the, the context, okay? And let's bring it right here to 2023. And let's talk about what does this look like in our lives right now? What does this, the way, the truth, and the life, what does this look like? No one comes to the Father but through me. Ladies, you're living in a world. I don't have to tell you what kind of world you're living in, actually. You know, but you are living in a world right now where people are saying there are multiple ways to heaven. There are multiple ways. It doesn't matter what so-and-so believes. It really doesn't matter. It's not, your, it's not your problem. It's not your problem to worry about what they believe. They can believe what they want to believe. And everybody, as long as we're good people, we all go to the, the same place. This is what the world is telling you. But see, John 14, 6, literally, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's no way but to the Father, okay? There's no way to the Father but through him. There's one way. There's the way. It is the reason that Christianity right now in 2023 is the most persecuted religion. Everybody think about it, watch it, pay attention to it, wake up, watch the reels, watch the videos. This is the only time you'll hear me say that. You will hear people persecute Christians because of that fact. This is not an all-inclusive. Jesus said, I am the only way. And ladies, why is this important to you right now? Why is that important to you? It ought, here's the answer. It ought, ought meaning should, it ought to change the way that you live. It ought to change the way that you interact with every single thing in your life. It ought to change the trajectory of your life. Like when Jesus touched Saul on that road to Damascus and he became Paul, there was that transformation process. It was a change of nature. It ought to change the way you live your life because you know what? People's lives are at stake. People's lives are at stake. It is, it is our job to build intimacy with Jesus and to grow and to know him, to grow closer to him, to know him and to share him. It's not our job to sit there and water the seed. Now, listen, the Lord will call those to himself, just like he did with Saul. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Okay. The Lord will call and choose whom he chooses, regardless of us. But it is, it is our job to not just know him, but to share him. See, Saul's life was changed and Paul went out and proclaimed the good news and shared Jesus to the Gentiles. And it is not an all-inclusive way. It is not everybody gets to come. It is not the way is wide. It says in Matthew, the road is narrow. It is so, so narrow. It's not even narrow. It's narrower than narrow. Every encounter 
every encounter, didn't expect to go here, wasn't in the notes, but I'm going off. Every encounter, we are to be the salt and the light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are to proclaim the light, the way, the way. So, so, so many of you, so many of you come to me and ask me about, well, I don't feel like I'm qualified to do this, or I don't feel like I'm qualified to do that, or I, I've had so many messages over the years, it's crazy, or I don't feel like I, I can share because I don't know enough, or I feel like I can't share Jesus because I don't know enough, or I feel like I don't know what my purpose is. I don't have a purpose. I feel like I don't have a purpose at all. Let me tell you something. If you love Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, you have the ultimate purpose in your life, and that is to proclaim his name, to share his name, to share the hope that you have, to love, to season your life like salt, flavorful salt, so that no matter where you go, whether it be the gym or the grocery store, talking to a person at a gas station while you're pumping gas, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It can be in your vocation or your location. It can be anywhere and everywhere. That is the ultimate purpose. And that's the one thing the enemy wants you to believe is not the case. He wants you to believe there's no purpose on your life. He wants you to believe that there's no, no, um, uh, no reason for, for your existence. And I'm here to tell you tonight, if you call on the name of Jesus Christ, that is your purpose. We're going to talk about what that meant to Paul tonight. We're going to talk about what that looked like to Paul, what it meant to take hold of, and what it meant to press on. And then after we study in time, culture, and context, I want you to think about what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your life? Totally didn't expect to go to, to that place, but I totally did. I just went there. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn our purpose is to share Jesus and to make him known. Stop thinking about if you're going to mess up when you share. Maybe it's a simple invite. You can't get within 10 feet of me before I'm like, come on, let's go to church. I'll save you a seat. Hey, join my Bible study. I have a Bible study. We have so many amazing women all over the place. Come, join us. Oh, oh, you don't, you don't know Jesus. That's, you're going to, you're going to love Jesus when I'm done with you. And you tell your story and you tell your moment, you tell your Damascus road, you speak up and you speak up boldly because right now that's what the world needs. Unfortunately, people are keeping their mouth shut. People are keeping their mouth shut. That is your purpose to know him and to make him known, write it down. We're going to turn to Philippians, but I want you to write that down. Philippians chapter three, write it down. My purpose is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. All of us share that purpose and the Lord will do it different things through us in different ways, but that is our purpose. And if the enemy's working on you tonight, sweet sister, let's lay that down together tonight here. Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 14, we're going to talk about pressing on, taking hold of, sanctification. We're going to talk about some of my favorite, favorite things. And it's not going to be, I'm doing phenomenal on time. It's not going to be long, but none of this is in the book. None of this is in the book. So if you're taking notes, get ready to, to write. Okay. Because I really want you. Hmm to think about these things tonight. This is essentially in Philippians 3, 7 through 14. It's more insight into Paul's thoughts and thinking about his relationship with Jesus. So now he had this encounter. He went out, the Lord used him mightily to, to share the good news to the Gentiles and the Israelites. And it's more, it's a deeper understanding of how Paul thought about his relationship with Jesus and the importance of his relationship with Jesus. Okay. So I want to read this to you. Verse seven, and I'm not going to read each verse. I'm just going to read all the way through till I'm done. Okay. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I had counted at a loss for the sake of Christ. 
whatever things were of gain to me, those things I've counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I've counted them rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, a righteousness from adhering to the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith, that I may know him, verse 10, listen, this is Paul describing his relationship and what he thought about Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay. Listen, he had a goal here. You have all the worldly goal setters that love to talk about setting goals and it's worldly and it's empty and it's void, right? But as a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul talks about a goal that he had. Now, here we go. I want you to read verses 12, 13, and 14 with me. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. Huge words there. Highlight them, underline them circle them. But I press on so that I may take hold, or some versions, mine says lay hold, that I may take hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. I forget what is behind. I press on to what is ahead. I may lose everything earthly. I may lose everything that means anything to me on this earth, but I press on in pursuance of Jesus Christ to love him. Listen, to love him, to know him, and to make him known the greatest calling any of us could have. Paul was targeting, write it down. It's not in your book. It's not in the notes. It's nowhere. Number one, Paul was targeting the goal of absolute Christian maturity and to cross that finish line. His goal was to pursue absolute Christian maturity and crossing that finish line and to cross that finish line. The finish line is not crossed on this earth, ladies. Sanctification, being made holy, being made more like Christ, it's a lifelong process. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But, but crossing that finish line doesn't happen here on earth. It is when we come face to face with Jesus and we can hear job well done, good and faithful servant that we can come face to face with him and know Ladies, no, it's not in my notes, but that we pursued the right things. We pursued him. He's so holy. He's so righteous. He gives us the ability to go directly before the throne. We can go directly to him with our problems. We can go directly to him with our pain. We can go directly to him with our abuses. We can go directly to him with our brokenness, with our sins, with our mistakes. We can go directly to the throne. We can do so. We can pursue him all the days of our life. And when we meet him face to face, we will hear job well done, good and faithful servant. Because we pursued the right things. We didn't pursue these earthly things that vie for our attention. So Paul, Paul was targeting true Christian maturity. That's my hope. That's my prayer for you girls. It's why I do these studies literally our 50th study year round all the time, all these platforms. I do this because I want you girls to grow in maturity. I want you to grow in Christ because nothing you do in this world is more important. Now, number two, I want you to read Philippians chapter three, verse 12, and I'll read it to you. Philippians three twelve. Again, I read it to you a second ago. Not that I've already obtained it or I have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that 
which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Essentially, I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took a hold of me. I press on for what he did for me. You press on. You continue on. Press on. Some versions say take hold. Okay. It means to win. Write this down. Take hold. It means to win. It means to acquire. It means to possess. It means to make one's own. I take hold of that which Jesus Christ took a hold of for me. Now we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 9, verses 1. Hold on one second. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. On the road to Damascus, ladies, Paul had been seized by the unbreakable grasp of the risen Christ. Paul had been literally uh, uh, seized by the unbreakable grasp of Christ. He'd been transformed. The Lord took his sight for three days. He had some lessons to learn, but there was a transformation and it was immediate. He'd been seized by the unbreakable grasp of the risen Christ. Paul was God's chosen instrument to proclaim salvation to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. And to the people of Israel. Now listen to this. Please listen. Give me a second. That was not the goal that Paul pressed on towards. The Lord is using Paul to do some amazing things. The Lord was using Paul to reach souls for Jesus. The Lord was using Paul to proclaim the good news. The greatest thing you could ever do is to share Jesus Christ. He was doing all this, but that was not the goal that Paul was pressing on towards. We're going to flip it right back. I didn't mean to take you away. Sorry. To Philippians chapter three, verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says, and it's a powerful two verses, so listen close. That I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, meaning that I could fellowship in, that I could um, partake in, that I could participate in the sufferings of Christ. And ladies, let me just tell you in the early church, that is not anything that anybody would say lightly, that he could fellowship in his sufferings, being conformed to his death. The goal that Paul pressed on toward was twofold. What Paul was pressing on towards was twofold. I want you to write it down. Number one, this is the ultimate goal that Paul was pressing on toward, and we're almost done. I'm going to wrap it up soon. Number one, to know Jesus Christ. Write it down. The first ultimate goal for his life was to know Jesus Christ, Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and fellowship in his sufferings, that I may participate in his sufferings, that I may let go of the things that I, I may have thought were important at one time, that the world tells us are important. Ladies, bring it to 2023. All of the things that buy for our attention, all of the things that steal our attention from Christ, all of the things that we toil over, we sweat over, we stress over, we cry over, that we may let go of the rubbish, we may let, as he called it, let, let go of those things, and that we can press on towards the ultimate goal that Paul had, the first goal to know to know, to build intimacy, a relationship, to know Jesus Christ. The second goal, the second ultimate goal, to become like him, to become like him. Ladies, Jesus saved Paul to bring him into an intimate and eternal relationship, one that would grow and increase throughout his earthly life. It would grow, it would flourish, it would increase throughout Paul's earthly life. That's why the Lord brought him into this, this relationship, and it would culminate in perfect knowledge at his death. It would culminate in perfect knowledge at his death. And that's why I said sanctification. Sanctification is to be made holy. It is to 
Um, I have the whole thing here. I even have it in the Greek because I'm such a word nerd. The Greek word is hagiosmos, H-A-G-I-A-S-M-O-S, hagiosmos. It is to sanctify, it means to make holy. The lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. And Paul was saying this lifelong process, I'm pursuing it with Jesus and I'm growing and I'm increasing in my relationship with him, but it doesn't culminate in perfect knowledge until death. Philippians 3.12, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may, hold, may take hold of that which was which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So it becomes perfect at death. What we see as a reflection now, like a reflection, a reflection in the mirror. What we see as a reflection now, when we reach the final destination, we're going to see it face to face. Write that down. Write it down. What I see as a reflection now, when I reach the final destination, I'm going to see face to face. To be made holy. Essentially, ladies, sanctification is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. To set that person or thing, in our case, to set that person apart for its use, right? For the use intended by its designer, our designer, our heavenly father. That's a lifelong process of sanctification, but we get to see it in its perfection at death. And then Philippians 3.14, Philippians 3.14, I press on, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word press means to carry out, to press on, to carry out, to participate in an activity or to pursue or to follow. This means believers are to actively press forward in our knowledge of Jesus. Write that down. We are to press forward in our knowledge of Jesus. It is not just going to fall on our lap. We cannot just show up on a Sunday and think that that's enough. We must press on in our relationship with Jesus. We must actively press forward in our knowledge, in our study of God's word. Because see, if you want to know God's will, you got to know God's word. If you have anyone that you're listening to that's telling you you can know God's will apart from God's word, I encourage you right now to literally shut that person off, shut that person off, hit the unsubscribe button, hit the unfollow button, and run the other way. Because if you want to know God's word, will, you need to know God's word. This means time spent knowing him. Write it down. Time spent knowing him. <clears throat> Give me just a moment. Time spent knowing him. Time spent knowing his word. Time spent knowing his word. Intimacy and prayer. How's your prayer life? You don't have to answer that here. But it's something that you can certainly think about when you're done. Prayer life. Fellowship with other believers. Not buying the lie that you don't need to be plugged into a church and a body of believers. Because ladies, if somebody has told you that, that you can grow apart from being in a church, Acts is all about the importance of fellowshipping together with a body of believers and making sure that you are in a right, doctrinally sound, theologically sound church. These are the things. Pressing towards the goal of Christian maturity requires endurance. Pressing towards the goal of Christian maturity requires endurance. It is not easy. It wasn't designed to be easy. It's not easy because everything in the world is diametrically opposed to exactly what I'm telling you here tonight. Everything fights Christ. Everything fights his word. Everything fights his, his um, uh, cre uh, creation. His order of creation, male, female, marriage, family. I could go down the line. Everything is set up to fight this. It requires maturity to stay the course through the trials of life. When we go through trials, when we go through hard times, it requires 
maturity, it requires endurance to, to go through those things. And I know some of you, I know the trials you've been through and I know the hard, I know the trials I've been through and they weren't easy. There's still things that I lay down today over and over and over. The Lord is so gracious and he is so good. James chapter one, verses two through four, write it down. James chapter one, verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and not lacking anything. There's a work. Let perseverance finish its work. There's a work. There's a fruit that comes from perseverance so that we may be mature. Remember Paul's ultimate goal was to literally drive himself to Christian maturity, to drive himself to ultimate maturity in Christ, to take hold of, to press on, to keep going, not to give up, to grow in sanctification, to make him known, to know Jesus and to make him known. Two simple things, to know Jesus and to make him known. So that we're not lacking anything. That's how that chapter or that passage in James ends. So that we're not lacking any good thing. Here's the message, gals. And a five-second bullet, if you're just jumping on here, welcome. I love seeing you. Every single one of us has a purpose. 2023, bringing it right here, right now. Every single one of us has a purpose. And it is the greatest purpose you could ever imagine having. It is to know Jesus, number one, and to make him known, number two. That is it. Everything you do every day, vocation, location, placement, it doesn't matter. Stay-at-home mom, working full-time in a corporate office, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. We all have that purpose. It's the greatest honor. It's the greatest honor. It's the greatest honor to know Christ and to make him known. The second thing in general is that the Lord can transform, create a new nature, to literally have a new nature. The Lord can transform anyone. He turned Saul to Paul. Saul became Paul. Paul went on to reach the Gentiles and the Israelites and was massively integral in spreading the good news. He can transform any heart. Don't stop praying. Don't stop crying out. Don't stop pleading on behalf of those you love. You can go directly to the throne. The third general overview is that sanctification is a lifelong process. You're not going to see it right here, right now. But when our time comes to meet Jesus face to face, you will hear, job well done, good and faithful servant. And you will see all of this in perfect knowledge like Paul talked about. What is once a reflection in the mirror, you are going to see with your own eyes. Cling to that. And ladies, to grow in Christian maturity, to know Jesus, and to make him known means that we've got to get serious about our walk with Christ. That Sundays aren't enough. Five minutes here, five minutes there, it's not enough. We've got to make an effort getting to know him, building intimacy with him. And I promise you, he'll do a mighty, amazing thing as you transform, as your new nature takes over. The old is gone. The new has come. The old has gone away. The new is here. I don't look back. I press forward, right? Because I'm not looking at the old stuff. I'm not looking at the old sins. I'm not looking at the old Ashley. I'm not looking at the old way. I'm looking on. I'm pressing on. I'm taking a hold of because that is my ultimate Christ to know Jesus and to make him known. The enemy will fight you every day with these truths. You need to take what we talked about tonight. Go back, watch, and, uh, watch it again. Listen to it again. It'll be up on all major podcast platforms. Study, read Acts chapter nine. Read about Paul's encounter, Saul's encounter. Go back and really meditate, ladies, on these things. And remember, pressing towards the goal of Christian maturity, maturity requires endurance. You're not gonna get endurance if you're not staying in God's word.
you're not going to get endurance if you're not plugging around with uh, plugging in and being around other believers. You're not going to get endurance if you're allowing yourself to be thrown about, right, with every wind and wave. That's not where endurance comes from. Endurance comes from the Lord himself and his will. He has a perfect, a good and perfect will for your life. And ladies, if you want to know that will, you're going to find it in his word. Lord, I thank you for what you did tonight. I thank you for this, this incredibly rich chapter of, of Acts, Acts chapter nine. I thank you for the reminder to myself, Heavenly Father, you know what kind of week I had. <sighs> I don't have to tell you, Lord, but you're so good and you're so holy and you're so righteous and I pray, Heavenly Father, that you just take tonight and you um, just what was watered here tonight just grows and flourishes. You walk it out with this, uh, these sweet ladies, with the, the ladies that want to grow in your word, who want to know you and to make you known, who want to build intimacy with you, who want to take hold of and press on in their relationships with you towards true Christian maturity, true, true, deep, intimate relationship. I thank you for these women. I thank you for this ministry. Apart from you, I could do nothing. In Jesus' beautiful and precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Ladies, thank you for being on. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you for tuning in. Remember to subscribe to us, share the podcast. We're on all major podcast platforms. You can also find Ladies Who Love Christ Ministries on YouTube, and you can contact us at ladieswholovechrist.com. God bless you guys, and I look forward to seeing you. Remember, no Bible study next week, no Bible study. July 4th, we're going to pick up the following week. God bless y'all, and I hope you have a great night. So proud of you, ladies. Bye.